You know, there's at least two major problems with living life on the same page with God. Problem number, number one is letting God decide what's on the page. And by, by the way, he, he is God, so he gets to make that decision. But you and I were born thinking that life is supposed to be about us. Okay, now I don't know about you, and, and really, I, although I was there when I was born, I don't remember much about it, but, but I'm told that when I was born, I thought that life was about me getting fed on time. Well, then I grew a little bit, and then after a while, life was about me having a good game or me having good grades, and then as I got older, life was about my job or my family, and, and it just goes on like that. We never grow out of this, of this feeling, something inside of us, that really believes that life should be about us. And so because of that, letting God decide what's going to be on the next page of my life, well, that's kind of a tough pill to swallow sometimes. Now, that's the first problem. The second problem is we can't see the whole page. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 21. That's in the Old Testament. That's in the part before Jesus, okay? The New Testament starts with Jesus. The Old Testament is what happened before Jesus, 1 Samuel 21. Now, 1 Samuel <clears throat> introduces us to one of my favorite characters in the Bible, a guy named David. And one reason that David is one of my favorite characters is because he spent his whole life struggling to be on the same page with God. Now, in the Psalms, David expressed in the Psalms a lot of his struggles. And so if you have never been a student of the Psalms, if you want to know what it's like, I mean, what, what's going on in your life struggling with being on the same page with God? Well, we'll read David's and, and you'll, you'll discover, wow, I feel the same way about my own struggle to be on the same page with God. So David, David put that out there for all of us. Well, David grew up in a little town called Bethlehem about a thousand years before Jesus was born there. Now, when, when David grew was growing up in Bethlehem, the king at the time was a guy named Saul. But because of Saul's pride, God decided to remove Saul from being king over Israel. And he chose David to be the next king. And the reason God said was because David has a heart that is chasing after me, chasing after God. And so in a private ceremony right there in front of David's dad and his seven older brothers, the prophet Samuel had David kneel in front of him and then he poured oil over his head and, and he told him, he anointed him, said, I anoint you to be the king of Israel. Well, as you might expect, David couldn't just then turn around and, and walk up to wherever Saul was and knock on his door and say, and say King Saul, uh, I'm, I'm the new king, you need to leave. It doesn't work that way. And it didn't work that way then. Replacing the old king with the new king was going to take time, especially if it was going to be done the right way. 
So after David killed this nine-foot-tall giant named Goliath, he joined Saul's army. Well, David was, because God was with David, David, David was successful in everything he did. And because he was so successful, he became popular with everybody. <clears throat> in fact, they even made up songs about David. Well, David was so popular with everybody that Saul became jealous of David. And then finally, Saul was so jealous with David, he tried to kill David. Well, David did the only thing he could. He, he ran for his life with nothing but the clothes that he happened to be wearing. And that's where we pick up the story of David in 1 Samuel chapter 21, verse 1. David's running from Saul, and it says, David went to the town of Nob to see Ahimelech the priest. Now, we're going to jump down to verse 3. He gets to see Ahimelech the priest, and here's what he said to him. He said, now, what is there here to eat? Give me five loaves of bread, or really anything you have. Well, Ahimelech, then he left, and he went and got got some bread and brought it to David. Now we jump down to verse 8. And David asked Ahimelech, do you have a spear or a sword? Well, then Ahimelech responds to David in verse 9. Well, I only have the sword of Goliath, the Philistine whom you killed. Well, David, that was fine with David because he didn't have anything. And so he took the bread and he took, he, he took the sword, Goliath's sword, which had to be one big sword. He took Goliath's sword and he left. Well, where's he supposed to go? Saul is king of the whole land. Where could he possibly go that Saul couldn't find him? Aha, there's one place. There's one place he could go that Saul would never even think about looking for in them. But oh my goodness, going there, even the thought of going there, would have had to have made David's skin just want to crawl off of his body. Look in verse 10. So David escaped from Saul, and he went to King Ashish of Gath. Now, Gath, the fact that David, I mean, David had never set foot in Gath. Gath was a Philistine city. Those of you who know from your, uh, if you've looked at the Old Testament, the Philistines were perpetual enemies of Israel. David thought of the Philistines as heathens, as godless. And plus the fact, this particular city, Gath, which by the way is, would have been in present day Gaza, this particular city, Gath, it had been the hometown of Goliath. Well, that's the giant that he just killed. And he's carrying that guy's sword? Well, all of this had to be running through David's head when, he's, when he walks through the gates of, of Gath. How in the world is he supposed to get in? What was he thinking coming in here? That nobody was going to recognize him? Look in verse 11. So David, excuse me, but the officers of Ashish were unhappy about his being there. Isn't this David, the king of the land, they asked? Isn't he the one the people honor with dances, singing Saul has slain his, has killed his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And so David heard them saying that and singing that stupid little song that he had heard where he, where he was before, and he thought, oh, no, that's the same song that Saul heard that, that 
made him want to kill me. What are they doing singing that song here in Gath? And so look in verse 12. David heard these comments and was very afraid of what King Ashish of Gath might do to him. So he pretended to be insane, scratching on doors and drew, drooling down his beard. Oh my word, is this the same David who had been anointed king over Israel? Is this the same David who killed a nine-foot-tall Philistine warrior? Is this the same man? Let's go on. Verse 14. Finally, King Ashish said to his men, must you bring me a madman? We already have enough of them around here. Why should I let someone like this be my guest? Well, so the Philistines kicked him out of the city. They didn't kill him. I mean, why? But David's still a fugitive. So now what? Go home to Bethlehem? No, that would just endanger his family. In fact, his family's probably already in danger. He needed to get his family out of Bethlehem. So David was running along the road, and about 10 miles from Gath, he decided he better find a place that he's going to spend the night and and he found the perfect place there, there was a bunch of caves up on the side of the hill right on top of the hill was an old fortress that had been uh, had been conquered by Joshua about 400 years before but underneath that fortress on the side of the hill was a cave in fact a whole series of caves and it would be a perfect place for David to hide all of the caves had little connecting tunnels between them so if somebody came to one side of the cave looking for him, David could, could get out the other side of the cave. And so he decided, wow, this is a perfect place. And so David sort of made camp in these caves. Let's go on to chapter 22, verse 1. So David left Gath, and he escaped to the cave of Adullam. Soon his brothers and all his other relatives joined him there. Now I want to stop because... This may have been the lowest point in young David's life up to this point. Now, let's think about this. David trying to explain to his family why they can't go home. Where they've lived for generations, you can't go home, guys. Well, why can't we go home? Well, because King Saul is jealous of me. Ha! That's going to go over real well, isn't it? I mean, Devin's, uh, uh, David's seven older brothers, they already resented him for, for being so popular with everybody. Are they going to let this rest? Of course not. They're going to accuse him. What, you make, what, what makes you think that the king would be jealous of, of, of you? David, what did you do to make the king so mad that we can't even go home? David, you've ruined our lives. And folks, think about this. This is going to go on and on and on and on. Seven brothers, seven of them. There's not a one of them that's going to let, let it rest. And where's David supposed to go that he doesn't have to listen to that? They're all in a cave together. I mean, folks, that is not, that, that, that's a downtime in David's life. I can't imagine what it would have been like to that. Now, you know what? Whatever image David had in his mind about becoming the next king of Israel, this wasn't it. 
David really did want to live his life on the same page with God. But there was nothing about this page that even made sense, at least not to David. It made sense to God. But remember, David couldn't see the whole page. Now, years later, when David could see more of the page, then he looked back on that event, and he wrote a whole psalm about it, Psalm 34. It was about when David was running from Saul and hiding in the cave. And in that psalm, Psalm 34, it's a short psalm, 22 verses. In that psalm, David said that this whole experience taught him two valuable principles about living on the same page with God. Principle number one, let God decide what's on the page. Eight times in those 22 verses, David says things like, fear God, trust God, look to God, serve God. And all of those are just different ways of saying, let God decide what's on the page. That was the first principle. The second principle was, then live what's on the page the right way. Five times in those verses, David says things like, do good, don't do evil, say the right things, do the right things. And all of these were just different ways of saying, live what's on the page the right way. But that was later, years later when he wrote Psalm 34. But now, David's in the cave. And it really doesn't look like God is doing a good job deciding what's on David's page. So let's go on. 1 Samuel 22, verse 2. Then others, this is after his family, then others began coming, men who were in trouble or in debt or who were just discontented. You know, I can just imagine David sitting on a rock out in front of the cave, probably it could have been just to get away from his brothers, okay? But either way, sitting on a rock out in front of, uh, in front of the cave, and he sees one man coming up this trail. The road's way down there. He sees this one man coming up the trail, headed toward this fortress back up behind him, uh, Adullam. And it's just one man. He's armed, but it's just one man. And so David thinks, huh, I want to go check out this guy. And so he, he goes down and he, and he steps out in the trail ahead of this guy. He's carrying Goliath's sword, this big hunking sword of, of Goliath. Well, this guy, and he says, Shalom, what brings you to Adullam? Well, this guy looks up and here's David carrying this big sword. And he reaches for his own sword. And he said, I'm looking for David, the son of Jesse. Well, David says, I'm David, the son of Jesse. Who are you? And he says, I'm Abishai. And I have two brothers, Joab and Asael, and they're down on the road waiting for me. And we want to join up with David. That was the first, but he wasn't the last. 
they kept coming in singles, in pairs, families, whole groups of families, until there's hundreds of them. Well, now what's David supposed to do? Is he, is he supposed to say, y'all just go away? And then he go back in the cave and polish Goliath's sword, waiting for some angel to pick him up and take him to his coronation? Or should he use the leadership gifts that God had given him and become the leader of all of these misfits who so desperately needed a leader. Verse 2, 22-2, the last part of that verse. <clears throat> it says, until David was the captain of about 400 men. David chose to use the skills God had given him to be the leader of this ragtag group of people. And in a matter of weeks, David went from being a lowly, a lonely fugitive to the Israeli version of Robin Hood. And the part of this page, or the part of the page that David couldn't see, is that from this group of people would come the political and military leaders who would crown David king of Israel. And later, they would become the backbone of his army and his government. In Psalm chapter 37, verse 3, it says, trust in the Lord and do good. Isn't that what David did? He trusted God enough to let God decide what's on the page. And then even though David couldn't see the whole page, he lived it the right way. He used the leadership skills that God had given him to lead the people that God had given him to lead. Even though I doubt very seriously if those would have been the people that David would have chosen to lead, he became their leader. Now let's think about that in relationship to us. Most of us, we don't have a king chasing us trying to kill us. We may be in a household where there's a lot of discontent, but it couldn't be any worse than where David was. Seven brothers accusing him of ruining their lives. Well, what does that look like in us? What does living life on the same page with God look like for you and me? Well, it looks the same as it did for David. In fact, did you know if you are a Christ follower, then you've already said that you wanted to let God decide what's on the page? Really, in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, it says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and at the same time you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's what a Christ follower is. A Christ follower is someone who believes that Jesus died for them and God raised him from the dead, like the song we sang a while ago. And then they have chosen to ask Jesus to be their Lord. Well, folks, asking Jesus to be your Lord is about exactly the same thing as saying, God, I want you to decide what's on my page. You've already done it. But with God, that's a done deal. But with us, there's something inside of us that still wants life to be about us. And so 
even, all, e even though we've said, Jesus, come into my life and be my Lord, the thought of God making all of those important decisions about what goes on our page, well, that's still hard. And so we constantly find ourselves having to say, God, not your will, but my will. And then once we decide, okay, I really do, God, I really think I do, I want you to decide what's on the page for me. God has given us several resources to help us live what's on the page the right way. One thing he's given us is the church. And that's relationships, being connected with other Christians who are also trying to live what's on their page the right way. And here at Lake Hills Church, we have Bible studies, we have connect groups, and, and, and we have Fearless Mom. Ways to connect with other Christians who are trying to live what's on their page the right way. But God has also given us two other resources, resources that are with us on a daily basis. One of those resources is the Bible. And folks, if we're serious about living what's on the page the right way, it is absolutely imperative that we become students of the Bible. Psalm 37, verse 31 says, they have made God's law their own. And here's why. So they will never slip from his path. When I make the Bible my standard, then I do what's on the page the right way. I don't see how anyone could even know what's the right way to live what's on the page if they're not in the Bible on a regular basis. Well, now, does that mean that, that if we know the Bible that we're always going to do it the right way? Of course not. But if we're in the Bible, then we know how to come back when we don't get it the right, the, the right way. Another resource God has given us is his Holy Spirit. And his Holy Spirit lives in the lives of every Christ follower. You see, the Christian life is not doing good things for God. It's letting God do the right thing in and through us. Romans chapter 8, verse 13 says, But if through the power of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit who is in you, if by the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature. Now that sinful nature, that's that part of us that, that really believes life is supposed to be about us. Okay, so if by his Spirit in us, you put to death that part of you that thinks life is supposed to be about you, you will live. You will live. I've been a Christ follower for more than 50 years, and there is not a day that goes by that, that I don't take advantage of what Paul says there in Romans 8, and I say, God, do in me what I can't do. Do through me what I can't do on my own. And you know what? I am constantly amazed at what God is able to do in and through me if I just ask him. In fact, I'll just tell you all a secret. I've been sick for a week. I've not coughed for two hours in this week, and that's these two. And you know why? Because last night, my family started praying, God, you call Terry to do this. Don't let him cough. Because there's a connect group that knows I've been sick and they were knowing that Terry has to preach on Sunday. And they were praying, God, give him the grace, the strength to preach. And Deanne and, and, and Emily and, and Pastor Mac and Ryan 
and me praying, God, Terry's supposed to preach Sunday. Let him preach so he doesn't cough. You just, you know, we, we, we were singing a song a while ago about getting to see a miracle. You're watching one. I'm serious. I came in here. I was coughing upstairs. I was coughing on my way here. I haven't coughed. And before I came up here, I said, God, don't let me down now. And he didn't. I'm amazed at what God can do in and through me if I just ask him. Well, you know that same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead? He's in you too. And he can do a whole lot more than just keep you from coughing. He can give you the grace to be the husband or the wife you need to be. He can give you the grace to be the parent you need to be. He can give you the power to take that part of you that thinks life is supposed to be about you and sort of push it back so that your life can be about God. His spirit in you can do that. Psalm verse, chapter 37, verse 3. We saw it a while ago. We read it. It says, trust in the Lord and do good. Now, I want to ask you, do you trust God enough to let him decide what's on the page for 2019? Wow. Do I trust God enough? That's a whole year. I can't see. I don't know what's on that page. Nope, you sure don't. God does. But do you trust God enough to let him decide what's on the page of your life for this next year? And then, even though you can't see the whole page, whatever's on that page... Do you want to live it the right way? You know, there's a measure of fear that often comes with trusting God to decide what's on the page. There's a fear that if I let God make those decisions, then there's going to be things on the page that I don't want to be there. Like with David, I don't want to go hiding in a cave with my family. But, folks, those things are going to be there anyway. But if we let God decide what's on the page, and we live it the right way, then God will lead us through those things. Will you bow your heads, please? If you're a Christ follower, I'm going to ask you to make a decision. Now, you don't, if, you, if you need to think about this, that's fine. But if as you're looking at this next year, if you, if you think, yeah, I really do trust God, enough to decide what's on the page. And if you're a Christ follower, tell God that right now. Just between you and God, while your head's bowed. Just say, God, I really do trust you to decide what's on the page for this next year. And then after you've made that decision and after you've told God that, then I'm gonna ask you to do something else. Say, God, now give me the power to live whatever's on that page the right way. And God, if you need to, bring me back to remember this time when I've asked you to give me the power to live what you allow to be on the pages of my life. If you're a Christ follower, just tell God that right now. Start the year 
God, I want you to decide what's on the page for this next year. And God, I'm asking you by the power of your Holy Spirit in me to give me all the power I need to live it the right way. Now, if you're not a Christ follower, you can still ask God to decide what's on the page of your life. If you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins, like that song, those songs that we sang, like we celebrated in communion, if you really believe that, and if you believe like the song that we sang that God raised him from the dead, then you can ask Jesus Christ to come into your life and be your Lord. So if that's what you want to do, then do it right now, just between you and God. Just say, Lord Jesus, I believe in you. Come into my life and be my Lord. I said it all starts there. It all starts there. You have the rest of your life to live it. But at that point, you're saying, God, I trust you and I want you to decide what's on the page of my life. Right now, just ask Jesus to come into your life and be your Lord. Now, if you just did that for the first time, if you have Jesus to come into your life and be your Lord, I'm gonna ask you to do two things. First, would you just raise your hand just raise your hand right now. And while your hands, hands raise, just keep it up there. When we, I'm going to ask you to do one other thing. Before you leave, that Connect card that you filled out, that, that, you, that you got when you brought in, when, that you brought in with you, would you fill it out, put your contact information, and then just check that place that says, I committed my life to Christ this week. Just check that spot. You say, what's going to happen if I do? If you do, I'm going to call you and I'm going to congratulate you for beginning a relationship with God, with Jesus Christ today. And I'm going to ask you if there's something I can do to help in your walk with the Lord Jesus, your growth. Now you have your hand up. We have a tradition around here, Lake Hills Church. When you put your hands down, we put ours together. <laughs>